Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Each one of these, it starts at one point and it flows in a direction. So in other words, one principle will build upon another principle so that it'll help you in what you're doing. So there's a, there's a flow of logic, biblical logic in doing this to help you. So the first thing is I want to fear the Lord. I fear him so much that I want to guard my own mind right here so I don't let anything that will hinder me from fearing the Lord. Now, if I'm doing that, what else do I need to do? We're going to go to number three, the third lesson. The third lesson is to teach your son to obey his parents. You see, this is important because while you're wanting them to guard their minds, you know that they're going to need to have the help because while things are going in, you quickly have to tell them this is not right or this is right, this is best, this is only good, this is better, so they need to listen to you. Now, if you look very carefully, I want to show you two verses. And ladies, mothers, I want you to kind of focus right now for you because this has a lot been on the dads and I'm not a male chauvinist and I'm not just a, a man only kind of thing but I do want you to see most of it falls upon the shoulders of the dads but now if you will look at verse 8 here it's at 1 8 Proverbs 1 8 it says hear my son your father's instruction but notice the Holy Spirit didn't want it to end there he also then prompted him to say this to write this And do not forsake your mother's teaching. So if you will, take a moment right now and underline the word mothers. All right? Now, in this context, it says don't forsake your mother's instruction. Now, if your mother is giving you wise advice, then your mother should be listened to. Are you listening carefully? All right? Your mother's advice is what's most important here when it's compared to another woman in your life. So be careful. I'm not talking about once you're married now. I get all of that, okay? But before then, your mother has great insight on you as a son. And it would spill over to you dads. You see, men will look at certain issues and truths a particular way. And I'm not going to try to define exactly what way that is for today. The mothers will look upon life from another perspective. So in a sense, when you have and you're blessed with, in maybe your situation, a godly father and a godly mother, you have surround sound, technicolor coming at you. You have the best of the most perfect world to help you be the most successful that you could be in the eyes of God because you have both of those. So while it might be easier to hear a truth from dad than it is from your mom, God still says, listen to your mom because she has instruction too. And it's just possible that some of the instruction that you get from your mom can even counterbalance the instruction that you have from your dad. Now, I don't want to stop there. Go to chapter 6, if you will, verse 20. Chapter 6, verse 20. Again, to see the importance of the mother in this. Now, the dad says, My son, observe the commandment of your father. Now, that observe could mean observe to do it. It also could be observe to see how this commandment actually works. But it goes on to say, And do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So while my main premise is that fathers teach their sons, I'm not going to leave the ladies off the hook, that they also need to be doing this as well. And you young ladies that are out there, and you're saying, well, that must be for sons, but it's not for me. Someday you will be a mother, and you will be instructed to teach your kids because your kids are going to be instructed to obey your instructions. That means you need to own this instruction for yourself, not as his head knowledge, but it's your whole being. It's you, you cut your wrist and you bleed wisdom from God's word, so to speak. So again, the importance of obeying your parents. Now, young people that are listening to me now, 
If you go through Proverbs, you're going to find that phrase so prevalent. Hear my commandments. Listen to what I have to say. The implication is hear it, listen to it, obey it, observe it, do it. Now, when you hear obey your parents, as I probably would as a teenager, and I'm sure I did, and that is obey my parents. They said, take out the trash. I get that. Yeah, clean up your room. I get that, okay? Uh, don't, don't, don't eat food in your bedroom because it'll bring bugs in there. Eat it outside or eat it in the kitchen or whatever. You know? I, I get that. I've got to obey them. None of that I'm trying to minimize. That is very important to listen to those instructions. But there's also another set of instructions, and this is what's important. It's the principle behind those instructions of why we do what we do and when we do what we do. Now listen carefully to this. It is my belief that when God was giving the parents to give instructions to the kids and they were told to do this to their kids and the kids were supposed to obey, there was a much deeper economy that was going on. It wasn't just so the kids will be your little slaves until uh, they get too big to punish them. They're not to just make life easier for you, mom and dad. That's why you had kids. You've already paid their dues, so now they've got to pay their dues to kind of serve you and do all the little running around for you. It wasn't merely for that. I believe there were two things that were much deeper in this, you do what I say. Actually, three. The first one being is, if you obey me and I'm teaching you the right principles behind the whole things of life, if you do these things, you will be a total whole person before God. You will be all that God wants you to be as I'm giving you this instruction from God's word. I got that. Number two, by teaching them to obey you, and I may say another step, if they don't, disciplining them when they don't obey you, and affirming them when they do obey you, what you're doing now to this child is he's growing up to understand what it means. Here it is, to work under authority. They can't get a job when they're five and six, but they can learn to work under authority when they're five and six. And so how you treat them and what they learn about respect, respect for you as a parent, respect for what they're to do, all the purposes of why they need to do what they're doing, the whole concept of that is being taught when they're a child. You find those that were not properly taught, not properly disciplined when they stepped out of bounds, not properly affirmed when they were in bounds doing it right, those are the ones that when they go out, they do not relate well socially in a world of work or in the military or other places as well, wherever there's authority in their life. In addition to that, They then can easily become their own boss. I don't listen to anybody else I want to, but I really don't want to. I'm going to do what I really want. They become social misfits, and often then the byproduct is they become criminals. And then guess what? They're incarcerated, and they're forced to be under authority because they didn't learn it early on. And so it's our job because in them is this bent to disobedience to help them become more obedient. So number one is to help them become a whole person before God. Secondly is to teach them the value of working under authority so they can do that when they get out. The third one is this. If they don't learn to obey you, they will never learn to obey God, the highest authority that's ever in their life. Did you catch that? So part of you teaching them all these truths is so that they would then become an obedient person, if they're a Christian, a child of God to the Lord. It's often said that if they don't obey God, they won't obey you. So you're teaching them these principles because of who you are, God's 
father or mother in their life. You're teaching them because God says you're to teach them. So you're obeying God in your role. And now you're teaching them. That's my role to do this. Your role is to do that. And the whole purpose is, is for your betterment, God's glory. You learn to work under authority as well as the same time you really understand God when you learn how to have a submissive, humble, broken, thanksgiving heart, thankful heart before the Lord. So I cannot tell you how critical it is. I wish I had the time to talk about the importance of discipline. I will tell you that if you need a model of discipline, you have no better model than the Lord, for it says, just as a father is to discipline his children, just as the Lord disciplines us. So how we discipline our kids is how the Lord would do it. Our Lord doesn't beat us. He doesn't kick us. He doesn't spit on us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't curse at us. He doesn't put us down. At the same time, he is firm. He is careful. There is a little bit of pain from time to time, and you all know that. I bet if we had the time, you could show me scars in your life and your heart that you have now because of being disobedient for the Lord to bring you back in bounds. Not because he hated you, because he wanted you to smash you and he wanted you to suffer. No, he did all of that so that you could just radiate with his countenance of the glory of the Lord. So how important that really is. And I, I just pray, you young people, that you will really see the value of obeying your parents and listening to them. And you parents would work very hard at spending your life to constantly be talking to them. Not done in anger, but always done in love. What's the purpose for discipline? It's to conform your son to wisdom. It's to break his self-will. It's to remove foolishness from his life. It's to remove the child from spiritual death. It's to delight his parents and the Lord and others. And all of these are taught in Scripture so that they could be a success. All right, number four. Lesson number four. You'll notice now we're going to pick up a little bit of speed. So again, it starts out by saying you need to fear the Lord. Second, guard your mind. Thirdly, it says, parents, you need to teach your children to obey you. And one of the things you're to teach them is to teach your son how to select his companions. Now, this is so important in just the first 10 chapters. So if you're going to begin teaching your kids, there's a lot to teach them. You can't just kind of... They're like a little match. And you don't come at them with a big fire hose of water and blow it out. You've got to then think, where is my child? What's he going to do? What does he need to know first, second, third, fourth? I really don't know how to do this. That's okay. There's others that know how, and they'll help you with it. They'll walk the journey with you. But in all of this, what would be one of the first things you'll teach them other than to love the Lord and to obey you? And that would be to watch out for his friends. Scripture in the New Testament says that bad company will corrupt good morals. Now, that is like gravity. If I threw my keys up, they're going to hit this floor. That's gravity. So I will tell you, whoever your kids run with, or roll with, they will become like them. And so part of our responsibility is to help them choose their friends. So they don't become passive in who hangs around them. They become active in who they would want to hang around. Did you catch that? Because those people will affect their life or influence them to the point that will help them become all that they can be. Now, I grant it. You have to be around a lost, depraved person to lead them to Christ. I get that. You have to act friendly to them. That's called grace and loving your neighbor. I get that. The Bible teaches that. But it never says to be a friend of the world. Because if you are, then you're an enemy of God. And there's a big difference between being friendly and being friends with. And again, moms and dads, you have to teach them what that means and the levels of friendship. What's an acquaintance? What's a casual friend? What's a close friend? What's an intimate friend? And what's the difference? And how we work them up to that? And when we draw the line? And how we have friends? And how we don't have friends? Because... Friends are so very, very important to us. If you don't mind, I'd like you to look at just a few of these verses to see how critical they are. If you will, look at chapter 1, verse 10 through verse 19. It's interesting how he starts right out with instructing his son about the wrong kind of friends. So if, you're, if you are looking at a beginning point, 
basically the first thing he says is fear the Lord. Basically do what I'm telling you to do. And then he jumps right into listen to your mother and father. And then indeed, he says in verse 9, indeed they are graceful wreaths to your head and ornament about your neck. That would be the grace and the truth. Look at how good this is for you. You're going to look good. You'll be good. It'll fulfill you. And then he says, my son jumps right into this. It's almost like a knee jerk. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't dialogue with them. Don't try to figure them out. Don't consent. If they say, come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. In other words, let's, let's bring some harm to somebody. Let's trip them. Let's do something fun with them that will maybe bring them to some pain. Let us ambush the innocent without a cause. Let's, let's bully on this person over here. Let's pick on this person. That's a nerd over there. That's a geek over there. Let us swallow them up alive like shoal. In other words, let's find someone else and make them like they're a nothing, that they don't even exist any longer, even whole as they go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth, those horrible friends that you might have, so watch out for them. They're going to say, look, we can get more money. If we do this, we can sell that and get this. We'll fill our house with spoil. Let's take it. We'll hide it. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. Like there's honor among thieves or something. It doesn't work that way. Let's do it. We'll all come together. Then we'll divide it all up. My son, do not walk in the way with them. In other words, don't be around them. Don't go in the car with them. Don't go through the mall with them. Don't walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They don't know that, but they do. Their ambush will be on their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Okay, let's look at another passage. Chapter 2, verse 11. All right, let's pick it up verse 10. It's better. Verse 10, 210. For wisdom will enter your heart. Remember, that's how I began the message. You want to teach them wisdom. For wisdom will enter your heart if it's taught right, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, meaning that there's an emotional self-confidence that you have when you have good knowledge. It'll take over your life. Now, verse 11 discretion will guard you. That means the, the ability to know right from wrong, good, better, best, never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. Then it says understanding will watch over you. So in other words, you already have a built-in governor in your life to guard you. And that's going to be the wisdom and the knowledge that you have and all that understanding is given to you if you apply it. Verse 12, what is it going to do? To deliver you from the way of evil, evil people, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. Let's pause for a moment. That could imply other Christians who at one time were walking uprightly, but then later on they got in with other bad people that influenced them, and so their morals are corrupted, and now they want you to walk with them in their ways of darkness, and you kind of want to do that. Look up here for just a second. I really don't think it's going to be, quote, the boogeyman that's going to take your righteous son and daughter and steal their heart after unrighteousness. I really believe it's going to be their best friend, their closest friends, the ones that they've hung with the longest, they played ball with, they played soccer with, they've done different things with, they hung with them. It's going to be their buddies that are going to turn them away, not some cloak and dagger person that's hiding behind some telephone booth with a, a mask on. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be their own friends. So let's go back to the passage. It says, to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil. In other words, it's more fun to do something bad. We get an adrenaline rush. Isn't that cool? That was so exciting. And they rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. That means they're manipulative. They're intimidating in their ways. They're sneaky in their ways. Now let's stop for a moment. I hope I built my case about the importance of teaching your sons and daughters the importance 
of having the right kind of friends. Now, let me back up. I am not to say that your son or daughter needs to be a social reject, a social monk that hides in their bedroom, and that you become what they call, have you heard this term before, a helicopter parent? How many of you have never heard of the term helicopter parent? Would you raise your hand? You know what that means? That means a parent who so much hovers over the kids that they don't allow the child to have some ability to be tested for right thinking and choices that they make. So they're always there, almost making their decisions for them. I remember I pastored in a church one time where that my wife went into the ladies' room. And in the ladies' room was a boy who was like, upper elementary school in the ladies' room with the mother. And when, when, when they were asked about it, it's because the mother didn't want the son to ever be left alone anywhere. And she had to go to the bathroom, so she brought the boy into the bathroom with her. That is one illustration of what we might call a helicopter mother. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about helping your son and your daughter to know the value of friends, how to make friends. And I would like to suggest that... And this is... um. My, I feel very strongly about this, that the opposite of not being a helicopter mother and father is not being a neglected father or mother. It doesn't mean that you have so much of your own world that you kind of just let them do their own thing. You give them $10 and you send them to the mall, you know, go to the movies or whatever else you want to do. No, you don't do that. But at the same time, you have a healthy time where you go and you do things together and you talk you listen to them. You don't growl. You're in their mind, in their world when they're sharing. They have the freedom. The biggest question would be you might want to sit down on the edge of your kid's bed tonight. I hope they're not here because they'll think you're doing this out of manipulation. And if they are here, then I'd like you kids to know if your parents do what I'm about to suggest, they're doing it because they love you and they're following the pastor's suggestion. Here it is. Sit down there and one question might be, son, daughter, do you feel safe to share with me anything that's on your mind? Are there things that you might be experiencing or thinking or doing or happening in your world that you might not feel comfortable enough to share with me or safe enough to share with me? And then let them talk to you and then begin to unpack and to fix that so they can feel share, safe enough to share with you about everything they could. The second thing might be, if they're a little younger, it might be, you know, I'm, I'm here tonight and I had some time and I love you and this is going to be a new time for us when you're getting ready to go to sleep, but maybe you'd like to share with me some concerns or maybe something that might be causing you a little bit to be fearful. Something happening at school, something happening in the neighborhood, something happening in the group you're hanging with. Is there anything that you're kind of a little worried about? And just sit there and don't give them three points and 10 Bible verses and 14 biblical examples and, 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 and you're finally done when the sun rises. No, you don't want to do that. You do want to listen to them. Give them that opportunity. So I'm not saying you to be their best friend, but be someone that they can speak with. And I'm just about out of time, and I'm glad. I have two more, and I, I'm going to quit. I, I'm feeling like we've been having such a great time, but I keep going longer and longer, and I don't want to do that. But promise me you'll be back next week, because what I'm going to teach you next week is going to be what's the next step after we watch out for the kind of friends we keep What's the next thing we have to watch out for? And I'm going to cover that next week, and then we're going to continue building on this long line of truths. Folks, I really love you, and I really love these truths, and I'm only giving you kind of like the mountain peaks where the beautiful tops of the mountains are, but the Word of God is rich with illustrations and principles and Old Testament and New Testament and how it all fits together for His glory. 
And the joy that there is in parenting when you have been given the source and the encouragement that you have when you have all that wonderful power from the Lord, that strength. You can do this. You can do this in the Lord. And the great joy that you're not alone. You're in a room full of parents that struggle with the same things that you struggle with. And maybe this week they can give you some advice. And next week you can give them some advice. And all together, we're in this together. Seek out some of those older men and women that have walked that path. and They might not have the perfect child, but maybe the first thing they could tell you is, here's what I would do differently. Listen to them. I tell you, God loves you. He's provided a lot to help you so that you can be a wise father in knowing what to teach your sons and daughters. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I love the word of God and I love what it has to say to us and I love the principles that are here. But one thing I need to leave you with and that is, do you know Jesus Christ is your savior? Having the, um, having the source of the word of God, if you have never trusted Christ as savior, these are great principles and you might hold them in high esteem, but you really won't be able to fully understand them until you trust Christ as savior. Because when you trust Christ as savior, you are given a capacity of greater understanding of the truths of Scripture. So that's going to be your first step. Uh, Secondly, you need to trust Christ because to do what we're saying, we really can't do this in a sustained way without His power, His strength. And that will only come when we trust Christ as Savior. The moment I trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And that is so powerful and so beautiful because it's through him that I understand scripture, the source. It's through him I have the ability to be strong when I'm facing opposition and I'm facing a secular worldview and I'm I'm facing an angry child or a depressed child. I have the ability now to stand strong but also stand compassionate because I have the spirit when you trust Christ. And then in addition to that, when you trust Christ as your savior, then you have other brothers and sisters in Christ who truly do love the Lord because they have Christ in them and you have Christ in you and you have the community of redeemed people. Such a unique group that is. But you need to trust Christ as your Savior. And you'll never trust Him if you think that you can do all this yourself and get into heaven by yourself. God says it's not by works of righteousness, but it's my mercy where I'll forgive you. And if you'll trust in Jesus Christ as the one who died and rose again, the only Christ, the only Savior, the only Lord, if you count upon him for your forgiveness of your failures, parenting or otherwise, oh, he's so quick to come there. Just like he said to the others that so brutalized him while he was hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wants to say to you, you now have the full forgiveness of your sin because you trusted in me. Now, if you're trusting Christ as your Savior, raising your hand, walking an aisle, and even filling out a card won't get you into heaven, but you trusting Christ will. I'd like to know if you're trusting Christ, so maybe on that card you can put your name and just say, I trusted Christ, and throw it in the offering. A lot of people will be putting cards in there so nobody will know what yours is in there for. And it'll be confidentially given to me. And then in the quietness of my study upstairs, I will pray with you, pray for you. My prayer won't get you into heaven, so it's not like you asking me to do your saving for you. Jesus has done all that. 
It's just me praying for you because you trusted Christ in here. But somehow let me know that you've done that. Maybe shake my hand on the way out. I'd like to give you a booklet called Now That You Believe. Nice, simple booklet of what your next step is. Would you do that? Would you trust Christ? Here's what you do. Say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but the best I know how. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Oh, my friend. It's that quick, that easy. Why? Because he's done all the work. Jesus says, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have blessed us with children, grandchildren, and also the capability of coming alongside other children, young people, teenagers. Thank you that you've given us the source, the strength, and the support to do this. I pray that now, Father, that you'll help us to do this so that you'd receive the most glory from the righteousness that is now going to be lived out in our sons, daughters, and grandkids. Help us, Father, as we gather again next week as we continue going through this wonderful truth upon truth of what wise dads teach their sons. And then, Lord, help us to understand it's for every one of us. Now, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh